Swamiji, can you tell us a little bit about the astral body and the physical body and the causal body? Well, you see, when the soul, when the universe and when the soul, both, come into manifestation out of God, the first thing is that consciousness is broken up into thoughts. And so we have a causal body, which is the cause of everything. That's why it's called causal. Another name for it is ideational, because it's really only an idea. But from that, then is clothed in a form. And uh, that form, in that form comes the ego. In the causal body, there's not yet the ego. There's individuality, but not ego. How do you explain that? Well, um, I can try. It's that any individual thought is still individual, even though it's not tied to a particular person necessarily. Thoughts are universally, not individually rooted. So the astral body is the beginning of form. Your physical body is a manifestation of the astral body. Therefore, the astral body looks like your physical body. But usually, when you leave the physical body, you may be an old man of 86 like me, but when you come into your astral body, you have a young form again. You look like a young man. When my father died, he was 84. And uh, I had the experience of feeling his presence. And it was very shocking and surprising to me. He felt just the, with the same he had felt when I was a young child, with that full energy and enthusiasm for life and so on. And I didn't see him, but I assume his form was the same. Sri Yukteswar, my, my guru's guru, my spiritual grandfather, you might say, he said he preferred to keep his old body. But that's usually, it's unusual for him. Usually they, keep the, they return to the young body. The physical body is uh, only a reflection of that. So Swamiji, when we are created, uh, is it a vibration that emanates from God and yes. becomes the grossest You might say it's a wave on the surface of the ocean. God is without vibration. He's the absolute unmoving um, presence of spirit. Then when Brahman, that spirit, manifests, he sends a wave of delusion over the ocean surface. And on the surface, the waves appear. And those waves are the vibrations. And you are, we're all manifestations of that infinite consciousness. The thing is that a wave changes constantly and disappears. Whereas once we come into manifestation, we go on and on and on. Swamiji, <laughs> <clears throat> is it possible to experience the astral body while still in the physical? You experience it all the time. You experience it when you feel energy. Um, this is why <clears throat> my guru taught energization exercises, which teach us how to energize the body with willpower. He said, the greater the will, the greater the flow of energy. But that energy is not physical, it's astral. It's from the higher, subtler plane. And people have been able to use their bodies to an astounding degree. They're rare individuals, and yet the very fact that even one human being 
can do this indicates that it's possible for any human being. It's a reality that can be experienced. But somebody, for example, learning the martial arts could find that he could, in a split second, be completely outside the uh, of the circle he had drawn. And uh, Yogananda, when he played tennis, somebody said to me, uh, watching him, I, I never knew how he somehow was always there where the ball came. <laughs> I didn't see him running, he just was there. <laughs> well, is it possible for people to experience their causal body? I suppose so, but it's, it's a more subtle thing. However, yes, in, where, in your meditation, when you go into superconscious, then is, you're in your causal body. Swami, I've heard stories of people who somehow were able to consciously separate their astral body from the physical and travel. Yeah, astral traveling. Is it, is it possible? Yes, of course it's possible. And these are other stories that I've, I've uh, read, encountered, and so on. Um, there's also the uh, saints who can appear in more than one place at once. A friend of mine was, um, so he was a disciple of Neem Karoli Baba in India. And he saw him uh, talking to somebody on the street there. And he got to his home a few minutes later and the phone rang, and the operator said it was a call from Kerolbog, and, uh, or Meroli maybe, anyway. And uh, they, it was this saint. He said, what did you just see? <laughs> <laughs> he was rather an odd one, that saint. Is that, um, is it a helpful practice, I guess, is the... No, you don't want powers. This, you can develop many great powers without knowing God. There was a, a saint Yogananda told about um, Goraknath, and he had great yogic powers. He lived 300 years. This may seem to Westerners absolutely impossible, but I myself have met saints of 144 years and so on. Great age is not a difficult thing for such people. He lived, and you're sure you have to take this with a certain amount of faith, but anyway, he lived 300 years, and he developed all the eight siddhis, powers, and when he saw that it was time for him to leave his body, he wanted to leave those powers to somebody who was worthy of receiving them. So he looked through the spiritual eye. This is the true eye of which these are just broken up into the duality of this world. But our true eye is here, and we, this is where we see spiritually. And so he looked through the spiritual eye, and he saw this yogi, a young man, sitting on the banks of the Ganges. And he materialized in front of him and said, I'm Baba Gurokanath. And the young man opened his eyes and was not very impressed. He says, that's so. And Gurokanath was, <laughs> after all, he was a famous person as you'd expect if you would lived 300 years. <laughs> so uh, he said, well, I've seen that my time has come for me to leave this body, and I wanted a worthy person to give these eight powers that I have, and I see that you're worthy, I want to give them to you. 
and the, he, he condensed them into eight pellets of mud, which if, uh, if you hold them in your hand, you'll absorb into yourself. And this young man took those eight pellets of mud and said, are these mine to do with as I please? And Gorakhanath said, yes, of course, I've given to you. He threw them in the water. And Gorakhanath said, what have you done? And he said, are you still in delusion, Gorakhanath? Then Gorakhanath realized what a, a delusion it was. Seeking powers is still a limited thing. Our goal is to know God. Is not the, in fact, the search for powers is something that can cause you to fall into me into ego again. Look at what I can do. Look how great I am. And so this, this ego of spirituality, the spiritual ego, is the hardest ego to overcome. Ordinary ego is quite easy. You, you boast yourself and somebody else comes along and makes you look ridiculous. And, but in spiritual ego, there's something, there's a foundation for it. And uh, it's harder to overcome. But then he became liberated with that. Swamiji, can you talk about how to overcome ego and spiritual ego? Well, spiritual ego comes from feeling that I am holier than thou. I saw a cartoon of two monks, and one of them looks at the others and said, but I am holier than thou. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thought that it, um, holiness is yours is the big mistake. Yes, you manifest goodness, but you must say that it is God who is good. It is God who does everything. It is God who has accomplished whatever I've accomplished. And uh, we, in fact, you should put it this way, that I remember when I was a child, I said to my mother that I had given something to somebody. Wasn't that good of me, mother? No, it wasn't good. It's what you should have done. And this is the attitude that we should have toward any good that we do. It's what we should do. Why feel proud of it? And so we should, a spiritual ego feel is to um, feel that you are better than other people because of your spirituality. Then what's the use of it? No, we, we must, it's the hardest ego to overcome, as I said. But we must overcome it by saying God is the doer. And every good that we do, just let him, let him uh, give the credit to him. Never accept credit for yourself. And people will say, but you deserve some credit after all for being in tune with him. No, don't accept it. There's much more freedom in saying he is the doer, not I. Don't accept that, well, I'm an instrument. <laughs> no, you're nothing. Whatever I've done in life, I've tried to feel, and I think successfully, that I haven't done it. He's done it. The other ego, to overcome that, the ego of family and pride of pedigree and um, wealth and all those things, those are knocked out easily, but others replace them. We've got to get rid of this thought that I am separate from you, that I am this body and I only have this body to concern myself and it doesn't matter what happened to other people. They may suffer, they may starve to death, it doesn't matter to me. It's not my problem. Well, that's a wrong attitude. We've got to understand that 
Everybody's suffering is our suffering. Everybody's joy is our suffering. So this is why it's better, more blessed, as Jesus said, to give than to receive. More blessed because it's more blissful. You feel more, feel happier on a higher level, a higher octave of happiness when you share what you have with other people. When you give away even something that is very precious to you because you want somebody else to enjoy it. To think in terms of the welfare of other people, to serve others is the path to liberation. It's not, don't do it because people praise you for being good, that's just a return to ego. But do it because if you can help other people, you will feel their joy, your joy in them. Try to feel your joy in everybody and feel their pains as your pains and you'll get rid of this little prison of ego in which everybody lives.